0: This is Nach Yomi. We are continuing our series on Sefer Shmuel. We had a bit of a hiatus due to various circumstances beyond our control, but bezevat Hashem, we're continuing now, getting back into a regular, uh, into a regular schedule of uh, shiurim. These shiurim have been dedicated by Mister. Ariel Kalati and family in memory of Dorina Kalati's Chonah as well as by Charlotte Sheverdi for the Hatzlacha and continued success of our learning in Yeshiva, Yeshivat the Haskil, We thank our sponsors and encourage anyone who would like to contribute to help us to continue our work. We are beginning where we left off, Perak Yud, the 10th chapter of Sefer Shemuel Aleph. We were in the middle of the uh, first meeting between Shaul and Shmuel. Shaul, who is about to become uh, chosen officially, as the next king of Israel, or the first king of Israel, rather. Shmuel took et took He poured oil upon the head of Sha'ul and he gave him a kiss. And he said, Behold, Hashem has anointed you over his inheritance, meaning over the Jewish people, as the leader. This was the symbolic manner in which kings were chosen. Shmuel went on and said when you leave today from Ummatzahta you're going to see shnei anashim, im imkvurat Ochel begevul Benyamin betzelzach you're going to see two men near Kevel Ochel in the uh, on the border of Benyamin and Zelzach va'amru they're going to say to you Nim or not to sharlachta levakesh that your, the donkeys that you originally left home to look for have been found. And he was more worried about you saying, what am I going to do for my son? In other words, we remember that Shaul originally encountered Shmuel because he had gone on a mission to find his father's donkeys and that led him to come to consult with Shmuel to try to find where the donkeys to identify and lo- locate the donkeys. But he ended up getting uh, caught up in this entire uh, situation of becoming the king. Now the first two people he's going to meet on the way home are going to mention that to him. And then you're going to go from there. You're going to come to Elon Tavor. There will be three people there. They'll be on the way to Bet El to sacrifice to God. One of them, you will have three young goats. One will have three loaves of bread. And one will have a Skin filled with wine. They're going to greet you. They're going to give you two loaves and you're going to take it from them. After that, you're going to come to a place called Givata Elohim where there are garrisons of Plishtim. You're going to see. Uh, uh, when you come to that city, you're going to run into a group of prophets who are coming down from the Bama, from the high place where they used to bring sacrifices. And in front of them, you will see four different instruments, Nevel and Tof and Khalil and Chinor. We can try to translate these into our modern uh, uh, terms, but we, they're not necessarily accurate. But Nevel and Tof are types of percussion instruments like drums, Khalil is a flute. A flute and a kinor is a harp, or maybe a violin. Would we call today a violin, a kinor, But some kind of a string instrument. And you will see them engaged in having prophecy, uh, according to the uh, according to some here. It means praising Hashem, but it seems to have more to do with some kind of a prophetic trance. And the spirit of God will will be extended upon you. It will uh, will uh, pass on to you. Imam and you're going to have the same kind of prophecy I, you're going to become a different person. it will be that when all of these signs come,, do whatever your hand can do. In other words, do all that, that's in your power, Ki, because that's going to be a sign. That God is with you. Now, up till now, we read about the three signs, basically, you know, that are going to validate and verify Shmuel's prophecy to Shaul. That Shaul has this special role role to fulfill. The question is, what's the significance of these three signs? And uh, why is it so important for these three signs to be precisely the way that they are? So the first one has to do with Kvot going to Kever Rachel, and encountering people who are talking still about the donkeys. It's almost like these signs increase in their sanctity and significance with uh, each stage. The first one by Kvot is really still dealing with Shaul as a person living in the physical world. He's a descendant of Rachel, He comes from the tribe of Benjamin. And he was searching for donkeys. That's Sha'ul in the context of his physical, material life as part of his family and his lineage and so on. And so that's the first stop. The second stop, he encounters people on their way to worship God in Bet And they give him uh, their bread. And uh, they greet him and give him their bread. And he's supposed to take it. And so this has already more of a spiritual connotation that he is engaging with those who are involved in seeking closeness to God and they are supporting him and they are, they are giving, him a, giving him gifts and paying him tribute. And that signifies a, a, the level of, of the King of Israel, that that's what he's supposed to be doing. He's somebody that the people who are seeking closeness to God are going to turn to and are going to support because he's gonna provide them with the infrastructure necessary for their uh, relationship to God uh, to be able to flourish. That's the second. And the third one is the highest because in the third one it's interesting we see a contrast between the tzvei, the garrisons of the plishtim the tzvei plishtim on one hand the ultimate uh, uh, opposition the opposite of, of the Jewish people the opposite of Kiddushan we see the Nevi'im the Nevi'im are at the highest level and Shaul of course joins the Nevi'im and is going to have some prophetic experience together with them so that's not just someone else who is in the process of seeking a connection with God interacting with Shaul but Shaul himself having this interaction that's going to be transformative he's going to become a different person it's really going to change his whole perspective once he has this prophecy so in a way it charts the course of Shaul's own development from the mundane to the practical but with a spiritual goal in mind to the purely spiritual we're going to see how this plays itself out. And then Shmuel adds another piece. He says, You're going to go down before me to Gilgal, and I'm going to come down to you. These are two different kinds of korbanot. One is a burnt offering that's totally offered to God. One is a shlamim that's usually eaten in a celebratory way where the people partake of the korban as well. You're going to wait seven days until I come to you, and I'm going to let you know what you should do. Now, this proves to be a very fateful instruction because this is going to be the first test of Sha'ul, whether he's able to abide by this instruction. And it's very interesting because it's not at all clear at first what the circumstance is that Shmuel is referring to, but somehow later on in the story, we're going to see that Sha'ul understood what he was referring to and when he was supposed to wait. And so uh, the idea of waiting for for Shmuel would seem to reflect the idea... That the Malchut Yisrael, in order to be a genuine and a successful Malchut Yisrael, a Jewish kingdom, it has to be subordinated to the the political power of the state, has to always be support, subordinated and made a vehicle of the spiritual vision of the Nevi'im. And so therefore Shmuel has to be the ultimate authority, so to speak. Not in a political sense, obviously, but in the sense that the king is going to be somebody who subordinates himself and adheres to the wisdom and the guidance and the vision of the Nevi'im. That understand the path of Hashem and the, wis- and the will of Hashem. And so that's what it signifies to wait for Shmuel to come. We're going to see more about this in the upcoming story. When Sha- Shaul turned to walk away from Shmuel. God suddenly gave him a different kind of a spirit. Rashi says, malchuti. all of a sudden had a feeling of kingship and and a, a majesty about him uh, that, that rested upon him. In other words, this sense of a mission and a purpose that he had suddenly uh, inspired him with a totally different attitude towards life. So all of the signs, right? So it says, All of the signs that were predicted came true. And then the last one was, that he saw this group of prophets coming, just like he was told by Shmuel he would, and he had the divine inspiration fall upon him, and he was prophesying with them. Anybody who knew him from before yesterday, meaning anybody who knew him before, suddenly Shaul is uh, hanging out with the prophets, they said, each person said to his friend, what happened to the son of Kish? Did all of a sudden Shaul become a prophet also? In other words, the idea is that they saw someone going into, uh, assuming a role and, uh, and, and getting involved in activities that had no relationship to their prior life. In other words, something totally new, something higher, um, more significant, more impressive perhaps than what he was doing before. The, but the point was, what was the basis of it? I mean, uh, all of a sudden, Sha'ul is a, uh, is a prophet. And, Gam Sha'ul Banvi, and, and, and somebody there said, who's the father of the rest of the prophets? In other words, who's to say that what your background is, what your lineage is, what your parents were like, that that should determine what your spiritual capabilities are or what your leadership capabilities are. Who's to say? mashal. Therefore it became a saying in Israel, Hagam we're going to see that this phrase does appear again later in the, in the Navi. But for now, the idea of Hagam Shaul B'Nabi is, that it became a saying whenever somebody would go from a position that seemed mundane or uh, or or seem to be uh, of lesser significance, and suddenly would be in a position of greater prominence, or greater spirituality, or more impressive. They would say, "Gamshul Banavim, that this person who comes from nothing, who doesn't come from a background that suggests that they would attain to that kind of a level, is this true that they've suddenly gotten involved? It would be like a person, let's say, who was their whole life uh, only a very bookish person. They never they never they were never athletic. They were never uh, they they were never involved in sports, and all of a sudden they're in the NBA. Say, uh, all of a sudden, this person, in that case, of course, I'm not saying that books are inferior to sports, but the idea is that somebody, and the opposite is obviously true, but a person who goes outside of what you would expect from their background, from their history, from their identity up till now, all of a sudden, they're involved in something totally different. You say, And that's what they said about Shaul. But this, of course, is not just about the nivu'ah that he's having, but it's about having a relationship with Hashem and a level of inspiration and understanding and vision that is going to guide him as the king. It's going to take him above and and, and set him apart from everybody else so that he has a taste of what the Yediat Hashem is like. Obviously, he must have been a tzaddik. And obviously, he had deep conversations with Shmuel, like we saw in the last pair. Deep conversations with Shmuel deep into the night about all kinds of matters. So he's a very sophisticated person and a very high-level person, but this nivuah uh, gave him a connection to Hashem and gave him a sense of vision and purpose that he didn't have before. And that is, uh, and of course, it wasn't something that anybody would have expected from him. Vayomer when his prophecy ended, he came to the place of the sacrifices. Vayomer Elav, El so the uncle of Shaul said to him, and said to his servant, boy, where were you? Look, we were looking for the donkeys, and we saw that we couldn't find them, so he went to Shmuel. So the uncle of Shaul said to him, what did Shmuel tell you? The uncle wanted to know. He told us that they had already found the donkeys, But Shaul did not divulge to anybody what Shmuel had told him about the kingship. He just focused on the practicality of yeah. uh, Shmuel told us that the donkeys had been found and we didn't have to look for them anymore. But beyond that, uh, beyond that, he didn't reveal anything else that went on between Shmuel and him. Shmuel summoned the entire people. El Hashem HaMitzpah to HaMitzpah. Vayom el B'Ni Yisrael. Komar Hashem Elohi Yisrael. So says Hashem the God of Israel. Anu Khi Eleti Yisrael Mitzrayim. I raised the Jewish people from Egypt. Va'atzil etchem miad Mitzrayim. And I saved you from Egypt. U'myad kolam ha'malakot ha'lochatzim etchem. And from all of the kingdoms that were uh, terror, were pressuring you, were persecuting you. Vayom ha'yom ma'aztem et Eloheichem. Today you have hated your God. You have rejected God. Asheru Moshe'a Lechem he is the one who saves you From all of your evils And all of your tarot, All of your problems And instead you wanted a human king Now stand before Hashem By your tribes And by your groups By your alufim um, Meaning by your thousands Meaning by the subgroups of the shevet The idea is that He's saying to them, you're rejecting Hashem. What does it mean for Hashem to be your king? Like we learned, for Hashem to be your king means that you that knowledge of God is the, that whoever has the highest knowledge of God is the one who's making the decisions and guiding the people, which is usually the Navi. Having a king means that there's now a separate infrastructure distinct from the word of Hashem distinct from the knowledge of the Navi, And that's dangerous. And even though in the future the idea was to have a king, like we mentioned when we talked about the discussion of whether having a king is a mitzvah, many Rishonim hold that it is a mitzvah. Most of the rabbis hold that it is a mitzvah. But So then why was it so bad here? It was bad here because if the people were on the level that they had the proper understanding of God and they wanted a king as a practical matter to help them organize around purposes that they needed to organize around and to accomplish goals that they needed to accomplish, fine. But they are doing it out of a sense of weakness, out of a sense of fear, out of a sense of insecurity and instability. They want the security and stability emotionally to be provided to them by the king. And that's not a healthy reason to have a king. A healthy reason to have a king is that he is a, an instrument, a vehicle of accomplishing certain things, of helping the people unite around certain objectives, but not that he should be the source of their security. That's the problem. So then shmuel does a lottery He brings all the tribes of Israel And it's tribe of Benjamin that's chosen Then he took Binyamin with its families And the family of Hamatri was chosen So eventually they, uh, they, they basically uh, break it down First by tribe, then by family, then by individual Finally they identified Shemuel Ben Kish is the king but he wasn't there. So they asked Hashem, Hava od halom ish, did, did this person come? In other words, they wanted to know, is he here yet? Um, the way that the, uh, the they uh, translated in the, uh, uh, that uh, they asked, is there anybody else here that we haven't seen yet? Okay, meaning they wanted to know if Shaul is here or not here. And Hashem said he's hiding among the luggage. So he didn't want to come to the gathering. He was shy. He was embarrassed. And so he went to hide among the luggage while they were having the, while they were selecting the new king. So they ran and they took him from there. And he was placed, he was set up among the people. He was taller than anybody from his shoulder up. Meaning he was a very impressive and statuesque individual. So Shmuel said to the people, have you seen whom whom Hashem chose? There's nobody like him in the entire nation. everybody cried out and said, may the king live a long life. Shmuel then reminded everybody of the laws of the kingdom and the laws of what the king is allowed to do. So Shmuel then wrote down the laws of the king and uh, committed them to writing so everybody would understand what the powers of the king were. And he said they went home. <laughs> Sha'ul also went home. And he now had an entourage of whichever soldiers were inspired. That Hashem touched their heart literally. They were inspired to join him. There were certain people who are were who were bad people who were uh, uh, opposed him. They said, how is this guy gonna save us? And they denigrated him. They didn't bring him any gift. And they made fun of him. They insulted him. But he was silent during the whole thing. So they, when, we look at the, uh, when we look at Shaul's uh, personality from the beginning, we see that there's a shyness. He doesn't want to divulge things. He doesn't want to be in the center of attention. And that can be interpreted, of course, in a charitable way, in a positive way, that we see that he's very modest and he's very humble. And most likely, had he not been chosen as king, he would have lived his life, a humble, modest Jew who didn't ask for much, didn't complain much, and was, uh, was thought of as a great tzaddik. However, there's another side to the shyness, which comes out later, which is that it's not so much a shyness as a fear of rejection and a certain insecurity. At first, it's not clear, it's not obvious that that is the case. But as we're going, you know, the fact that he doesn't retaliate against the people who are insulting him, the fact that he hides among the luggage when the king is being announced, even though he knows it's him, all of these things can be taken, can be construed as a positive, that he's very humble, that he's very modest. He doesn't play himself up. However, it's as we see more and more of his character i think we become convinced that it's more of a weakness on his part that he has a uh, that there is a uh, an insecurity there and that insecurity in the beginning is okay because it gets lots of reassurance from the people but once the insecurity becomes a real liability and there's no longer any way to uh, deny it to downplay it to uh, you know to kind of uh, try to assuage that uh, that that condition so then what ends up happening is that Uh, it becomes, he becomes paranoid. He becomes, uh, he he begins to think that everyone is against him. He begins to think that people are uh, looking to take his power. He begins to, to, to desperately crave the approval of the people. In the beginning, he didn't want to go out. We think, wow, he doesn't care. He's so humble. He doesn't want the position. He doesn't want the honor. But it could also be the opposite, that he's afraid. Of getting rejected, he's afraid. He doesn't know what to say to the people who are rejecting him, and and because of that insecurity, that's why he hides himself. That's why he avoids the spotlight. And that would fit more with his profile as a person who actually secretly craves the attention of people, but is just too afraid to put himself out there. Uh, and in order to in order to earn it, it reminds me of what it says in Perkei in a Baishan Lamid that somebody who is uh, very um who is very uh, shy cannot learn and what's the reason because most people think that the shy person is very quiet and they don't care what other people think and they're not interested in interacting but it's actually the opposite the shy person is more concerned what other people think and that's why the shy person is so reticent about participating asking questions and so on because they don't want to be judged they do care about the opinions of others and they don't want to be judged and that's the same with he seems like he doesn't care and he's trying to stay out of the spotlight but the reality becomes It was or becomes that he is very attached to the approval of the people and very much in need of it. And therefore, he's always angling to, uh, uh, you know, to he's always changing his policies and angling to make sure that he gets the highest approval rating possible. And that is one of the flaws we're going to see in Shaul as the stories progress.